Welcome back to another episode of Make and Multiply, a podcast for the people of Emmaus Road Church. My name is Ryan Chase, one of the pastors at Emmaus Road, and this is our Monday episode we call Hear and Obey. I'm joined today by Matt Grun, another pastor at Emmaus, and Mark Christensen, who is a deacon for our host team and leads a gospel community and uh, has a lot of important influence in our church. Mark, thanks for your contribution to these conversations as we unpack the text that was preached on Sunday. We are working right now through January sermon series. We've done this last several years and called this Habits of Grace, uh, a, a phrase we get from David Mathis's book on what we typically or more commonly probably refer to as spiritual disciplines, those practices in the Christian life by which we experience God's grace at work in us, changing us and empowering us, uh, experience God's blessing of his presence and his nearness. Um, but habits of grace just reminds us that this is all of grace from beginning to end. And these are practices that we commit to making into habits. And right now we're talking about corporate habits of grace. Mm -hmm. Some of the practices that we have, not just individually, devotionally, but when the church gathers together. And one of those, and, and it is right to think of it as a, a ha habit and ongoing practice, is uh, baptism. Uh, this is a practice that Jesus gave to the church, and the church has been practicing baptism since then. And um, so understanding it, I, th I think, has a lot of benefit for us. Uh, one, in terms of understanding and remembering the meaning of our own baptism, if, if you've been baptized, as well as really experiencing baptism as an ongoing means of grace in the church every time we have a, a baptism service. Because it is the kind of thing you you could, there's a temptation, I think, to come on a Sunday morning, realize there's a baptism service, and you just kind of get through it. Like, it's somebody else's baptism. Their grandparents are there. Their family's excited. Yeah, good for them. Good for them. Yep. It, it just kind of adds, maybe makes the service a little bit longer. <laughs> um you know, again, kind of falling into what I talked about a week ago of just spectating, mm -hmm. observing mm -hmm. something else going on rather than participating in it. And so I think being biblically informed about what baptism is affects our experience of God's grace every time there's a baptism. Mm -hmm. that, that there is an experience of God's grace for the whole church, not just for that person being baptized. Um, for them in a special way, but for the whole church every time. So let me read the text that Matt preached Acts 2, 37 through 41. And this is dropping in, as Matt reminded us, right after an incredible sermon by Peter on the day of Pentecost. And in response to that sermon, verse 37 begins, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how you teach us and instruct us mm -hmm. and inform us and correct us. And we do pray that our thinking uh, about baptism would be informed by your word so that we would experience more and more of your grace through this gift and this means of grace and this sign and seal of the covenant that you have given to your church in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, 
Matt, thanks for how you handled this text and mm-hmm. unpacked this for us and, and gave us context. It's tough to just drop into <laughs> <laughs> the middle of a much bigger narrative here, but we're zeroing in on the response of this crowd mm-hmm. to the gospel. Um, and I thought that was helpful how you, you started out with the motivation for baptism. Why would somebody want to be baptized? And what, what do we see going on here in the text that leads up to before these 3,000 people are baptized and added to the number, um, th- there's something going on internally mm-hmm. within them. Verse 37, they were cut to the mm-hmm. heart. Um, that was stirring to me, just mm-hmm. to be reminded of the, the effect of God's word on the hearts of these people. You, you compare that to um, the Emmaus Road story, mm-hmm. when their hearts burned within them. That internal working of the Spirit through the Word really is pivotal and essential to be yeah. understood in connection with baptism. Yeah, I mean, there, there could certainly be, I mean, the reason why I debated whether or not to have that as a section on its own, but uh, I think it's important because I think there's a lot of, uh, not false, but, but maybe not as true or right motives to be baptized, whether it's, well, about that time of my life, mm. it's kind of everybody, everybody else is doing it. Um, or if you, even even the motivation of for parents to baptize their children for a tradition with infant baptism is well, it's what this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so just highlighting, you know, we want to be biblically informed, yeah. not just situationally informed. Mm-hmm. So highlighting the fact of well, what what is it that motivated these people? Mm-hmm. Was it this is just what we're being told to do, so we have to do it? Was it a because because they are right? Peter yeah. commands them and. Is it just trying to fit in? Um, certainly, there, there's no social benefit here to, to joining this group of crazy people. I yeah, mean, yeah. That literally, the, the reason the crowd gathered is because they thought they were drunk. Mm-hmm. So there's no uh, social advantage to, to joining them. No, the, the, what the text reveals to us, and it will throughout the rest of the book of Acts, which of course we're not, we didn't get into, but throughout the rest of the book of Acts, over and over again, the motivation of... Uh, of those to be baptized is they hear the gospel, they mm. hear the word preached, think, or they, they, they hear the word read to them. I think of the, uh, the, the Ethiopian eunuch with mm-hmm. Philip in Acts mm-hmm. chapter 7 of where he just says, he's just reading Isaiah and he asks, he just asks a simple question of who, who is this guy talking about? Is he talking about himself or a different person? And Philip reminds him, no, this is all about Jesus. Mm. And then immediately they go and be baptized. He goes and be, is baptized. Yeah, so why not now? Right. So the motivation really is a, it's just such a key category for us because it just highlights the intrinsic um, connection between our conversion and baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, those two things. One is the visible form of the invisible, mm-hmm. but both are really, really beautiful and poignant and powerful and outside of our control. Yeah. And you highlighted yesterday in your sermon the, the importance of God's word being spoken. So Peter's here preaching, and you have a Luke is kind of combining what the general consensus of the crowd is saying is, mm-hmm. what's next? What do we do? Yeah. And so I think you highlighted well, made the connection of we hear the word, we're affected, and something comes next. It, right. it gets the ball rolling of something down the road. Yeah, there has to be a response, right? I mean, that's why they ask. They don't just hear it and tell them to stop and then just sit and think about it. They do really ask. All right, what are we to do? What's that, what should our response be? Mm-hmm. I think it's really a, a humble declaration too. They could have just gone and done their own thing, but they ask Peter, who seems who's declaring this word, what does 
what should we do? What ought we to do? Which is a different question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Then you have to think about the meaning of baptism. Um, what exactly is it and why does it matter? Um, and here in the text, uh, Peter links it to repentance, repent and be baptized. So those two things go together. They're not the same thing, mm -hmm. um, not synonyms, but, but they do go together here. And you talked about how the order matters. I think that was, that was really helpful as well. That, um, starts with that response to the gospel. Um, they're cut to the heart and, and even though they're cut to the heart, then Peter calls them to repent. It's one mm -hmm. thing to be convicted of sin. Right. Lots of people know they're guilty. They, they know they're wrong, might even feel some level of regret and remorse. Mm -hmm. um, but repentance is not just feeling bad for what you've done. It, it really is a change of, of direction, mm -hmm. turning yeah. away. Um, and baptism without that, without repentance, without faith, it's not a, a magical rite that does something to somebody right. apart from faith. Well, baptism just becomes then every time you have a spiritual high at a, you know, a conference mm -hmm. or whatever, just like, oh, I need to be baptized again. Um, so it's, it becomes nothing really significant. It's just um, I was affected, and therefore this yeah. is what I do when I'm affected. Yep. Yeah, and, and I think for the New Testament, baptism really is an essential part of, of Christian discipleship. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it, especially here, it represents in a lot of ways our forgiveness of sins. Mm. Our sins are forgiven. That happens at our conversion, right? Mm -hmm. that, that happens at the repentance. At the repentance stage, we are actually justified. We are actually, you know, you think of the ordo salutis in mm -hmm. systematic theology. There is, a, there's a there is a continuum here that's helpful to think through. But eventually it gets to this, okay, now that has to be enacted in the world. Mm. Um, and baptism Really, that's what I was trying to get to. It's, it's one thing to ask the question, what is baptism? I think a more helpful question is, what does baptism do? Mm. Um, because if, if we just think of it just as what, what it is, yeah. we can start to define it in ways that, that would not um, wouldn't line up as neatly with the, new with the text of the New Testament as what we see. Mm -hmm. um, what we see is baptism conferring something. And here we see it as well. It, it's, it's not the way that our sins get forgiven, mm -hmm. but it represents the reality of our forgiven sins, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yep. And by doing that, it actually gets stuff done in physically, visibly uniting us mm -hmm. to the body of Christ mm -hmm. and visibly uniting us to that name Christian, where mm -hmm. I, I had that Moeller quote, which I still would defend, that mm -hmm. the New Testament doesn't have any category, doesn't recognize any unbaptized Believer, and I have the rest of the quote goes on. Baptism is a necessary sign of obedience and discipleship. We do not need to be baptized to be saved, but if we are saved, then we will get baptized. Mm -hmm. So that, that's helpful to me to think. Okay, it it represents and is actually it's more than just a symbol. Mm -hmm. I try to make that point of like we often talk about it just an outward sign of an inward grace, which is true. Mm -hmm. It's not wrong. But I would argue it, it's a bit more than just a sign. It's actually, the, the Reformed language is, it's a seal. It actually mm -hmm. does something. And, and what it does is beautiful. And now, because of that objective beauty, mm -hmm. I actually get objective 
fruit and effect. It, it affects me in different ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. And if anybody's wondering, that language of a sign and a seal comes from Romans 4, when Paul talks about mm-hmm. Abraham and his circumcision as a sign of the covenant and a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. Right. And I think Paul's language there is important. It's a seal of that righteousness. It's not that Abraham's circumcision conferred righteousness. Correct. He had righteousness by faith before he was circumcised. In fact, that was Paul's whole argument in Romans 4. When was Abraham counted righteous? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was before so that he would be the father of faith for all who believe both circumcised and uncircumcised. Circumcision then is a sign and a seal. So it, it doesn't, it's not made meaningless to say, well, he's righteous, doesn't need to be circumcised. Well, no, God told him to do this and told all of the males in his household to be circumcised and all the descendants of Abraham. For good reason, which yep. I think that's the other thing. It's not just an arbitrary thing. Right. Like God is asking them to, do, or commanding them to do this just as he commands us to be baptized yep. for important, like for actual reasons. Right. And that connection between the old covenant circumcision as you were describing there, the sign and seal of the covenant is really helpful because, as you said, Genesis 15 is when Abraham is, quote-unquote, justified. Because right. in Genesis 15, it's when God brings him out and shows him the stars, and it says, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. And it's in that text, which Paul quotes in Romans 4, is, and, God, uh, and Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Mm-hmm. The sign of the circumcision doesn't come until Genesis 17. So he's, he's justified then. He's mm-hmm. converted. His sins are forgiven. He is made alive. This covenant is made there mm-hmm. and then sealed later on. And yes, Paul picks that up in Romans 4, but also you know, think of the book of Galatians, which I quoted mm-hmm. from on that, which is so vital because in the book of Galatians, are the letters to the Galatians, Paul's, the axe he's grinding is that these believers are trying to are being confused that actually circumcision is actually conveying some sort of grace that I would not get otherwise. Mm-hmm. I must do it in order to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. And, and Paul is really saying, well, he, he's really mad. He just gets all <laughs> fired up and yells at him for a couple chapters. And it's in that context that he gets to that Galatians 3 where he just says, but now that faith has come, there's a difference now between that old covenant mm-hmm. sign and this new covenant sign mm-hmm. that we belong, we, we receive the benefits of Abraham, not now by belonging to his bloodline, belonging to his, uh, his, his racial, his blood line, but because of Christ and because we now share in the same faith that Abraham had, mm-hmm. heirs according to the promise. I, I, you know this, Ryan. That was one of the critical changes for me. I mean, I was, I was an infant Baptist guy for most of my life mm-hmm. uh, up until about four or five years ago. Um, but that passage and in our discussions, when you and I would talk about this stuff, that always, that was just that nagging thought of like, okay, well, Mm. I mean, I guess that makes sense, (laughs) but it was just, it was annoyingly biblical. And, uh, and that's why I think when we talk about the meaning of baptism, it just, we have to be biblically informed, not systematic Mm. deal, theologically informed. That makes Mm. sense Mm -hmm. because the Bible is not a systematic theology. It's a story, yeah. and it comes to us that way. Uh, systematic theology is super helpful. Important. And, yeah. vi- and vital to the life of the church and, and protecting our orthodoxy and defining mm-hmm. our orthodoxy. But if, if systematic theology begins to turn around and start dictating to the scriptures what it says, that's where I think we get into trouble. So my aim on Sunday was not to define baptism through systematic theology, but to define baptism through the 
word mm. <laughs> through the text and yeah. what, what do we see in the text? And so I didn't spend a whole lot of time defending one way or the other, but because the Bible, I think, assumes mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. and defines it as it is, not how we want it to be. Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. I, I guess a question for both of you as our pastors of this church, I've already heard over the last couple of weeks, people anticipating this sermon and then responding to it. Um, how would you counsel people who are, you know, asking questions about, okay, I've never been baptized before, or, you know, I'm hearing what Matt's saying and I want to respond rightly to God's word. We talk about hearing and obeying mm-hmm. God's word. We talk about, you know, reading, and then we should always respond to God's word in mm-hmm. some way. Uh, I think of John Piper's words, we act the miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, and Matt, you brought up that category of discipleship earlier, which, um, yeah, we want to be discipled by God's word and we want to walk uh, in the those channels of grace that God's already established. So for those people who are thinking about, okay, how do I respond to this word? Maybe if I haven't been baptized before, I haven't really thought about this before. Mm-hmm. How would you guys counsel these folk? Yeah. We'd love to talk more mm-hmm. with anybody who's in that situation. Um, and to walk through, th- there's just a lot more about baptism in scripture that we could talk about that, you know, couldn't get to in, one single sermon. So if this just raised the question or kind of brought that issue to the surface, then I think that's productive. And um, so a next step would be to sit down and talk through, you know, what's your understanding of baptism? What questions do you have? What reservations or fears? And those can really range from one, just the fear of being up in front of other people. Right. Mm-hmm. It is a, a vulnerable thing to be, Matt, like you said, dunked underwater. <laughs> uh, in your skivvies. In, yeah. in front of other people. Um, and so, you know, it, it could just be that, but mm. there might be other theological or biblical questions, concerns about, um, well, I, I'm afraid, you know, this, since this is an act, I, I don't want to um, be works based. Mm-hmm. I believe I'm saved by grace, not by what I do. And so thinking through those things that, you know, our understanding is that th- this is not a work that merits God's forgiveness or right. merits righteousness, or you, you do this work to earn that from God. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus is the one who commanded this. He, he commanded us to be baptized in the great commission, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that there is an objectivity, I think, tying this back into the, the meaning of baptism. That, that was, I think, a crucial point, Matt, that you made. And I forget how you worded the question, but something like, you know, how, how does the world know, how does the church know mm-hmm. who belongs to the body of Christ? That's right. um, is it just everybody who feels something in their heart or everybody who or says, says so. something yeah. or... How, how do we know? And when Jesus says baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, baptism is a naming thing. Mm-hmm. It, it objectively names you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You you are baptized into Christ and you bear his name with that. Um, it, it's external. It's observable. It's public. It's objective, not just based on your feelings, but there's an objectivity to it. One author says, think of it like the passport of the kingdom and the kingdom citizens swearing in ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, That's good. This, this is like your, your passport. You, you belong mm-hmm. to this kingdom. You're sworn in, um, and, and now you are a citizen of this kingdom. Which just checks out with all the, the rest of the New Testament, of the text like you have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. You, mm-hmm. you are now a citizen of a different realm. You are, you are the old man has passed away and the new has come. It just 
It makes sense with the Christian experience, but now it, it's, it's dramatizing, it's enacting it, it's visualizing it yep. in a way that puts, you know, puts skin in the game. It, it, it actually depicts it rather than just a subjective, well, we'll take your word for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and Paul says that in Colossians 2 when he talks about uh, in him, in Christ, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting mm-hmm. off of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith. So again, we see faith tied to baptism yeah. uh, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Mm-hmm. And you who are dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together. Uh, so there's that transfer from darkness to light. You were dead. Now you're alive. You're united to Christ. And Paul's writing that, like that Moeller quote, just his assumption is every Christian's been baptized. That yeah. That's the the initial act of obedient faith. You you trust in Jesus. You submit your life to him. First thing he says to do is be baptized. Which, you know, the the New Testament has no category for a non-baptized Christian because, which of course you could lean back and say, well, come on, is that really true? There had to be some Christians out there that haven't been baptized. The question Paul or Peter or any of the apostles would say to that person is, well, why haven't you been baptized then? Because if you haven't been, then you're walk, you're, in a lot of ways, you're walking in disobedience. Mm-hmm. If it's a, you were just regenerated and now we're just wondering where the water is, mm-hmm. that's, that's one category. Uh, another category is just, well, I, like you were saying earlier, I don't want to be works. That, that's just a misunderstanding of, right. of the gospel yep. so, logic. Yeah, don't so, do so, it as a work. So don't yeah. do it as a work, mm-hmm. but also obey. Mm-hmm. Obey God's mm-hmm. commands. And, and then, like I think I mentioned at the end, is like, don't withhold the blessing of baptism mm. from yourself and the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is such the effect of it is just so wonderful. I remember when we just had it back in October. I was just so affected by seeing these people just com- just answering those simple questions like, mm-hmm. "Do you count him as your savior?" and mm-hmm. do you commit now to and just then I bapt in on the basis of your profession. I baptize you in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, buried in His death and raised in yeah. His life, and that's just. What an effect that is. Yeah. What an effect to you, see that. You know, I was thinking um, culturally that there's a shift in, in some circles where um, when the gospel's presented, there's some kind of altar call. And you mm-hmm. think about, you know, what are the other public ways of identifying, um, you know, raising your hand or mm-hmm. standing up or coming mm-hmm. to the front. And, and not that those things are necessarily wrong. Signing a card, you know, indicating a decision. There, there's some way of communicating or affirming that you you are putting your trust in Jesus that's well and good but the biblical public declaration mm-hmm. i am trusting in Jesus i'm i count him as my savior and my lord i'm repenting of my sins i'm renouncing my sinful ways the biblical way to do that is baptism right. there's there's not a substitute like or in place of baptism you could sign a decision card or right. you could mm-hmm. raise your hand or right. you know whatever that, yeah. that's the that's the way that yeah it doesn't say repent and sign the card mm-hmm. it, it does just say repent and be baptized and, and and god means to communicate his grace to us mm-hmm. through that mm-hmm. i think that's what's so helpful is to remind ourselves that baptism is a means of grace that what we get is grace undeserved not the salvific regenerative grace mm-hmm. which we receive yeah. at our conversion but grace nonetheless mm-hmm. just that the, the effect i get when i gather with my gc or when i gather on sundays 
the, the effect I get when I read the word, when I don't feel like it, and then I'm affected by it. Mm-hmm. The effect I get when I pray and, and, and plead with God to, to heal someone or to save someone. Mm. Those are, that, that is grace from God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and baptism is the God-ordained, God-instructed, God-motivated, or God-commanded way by mm-hmm. which we do that. And it, it's one th- another, we don't practice baptism like some Baptist churches of saying, well, we're going to have a baptism Sunday. Whoever wants to come and be baptized, just come on down. We'll keep the pool. We'll get the music going. We'll get the pool warm. <laughs> um, that, it's helpful to me to, to, it's worth saying, that's not how we practice it because of what we believe baptism is. Only those who are united to Christ mm-hmm. in faith are to be baptized. So that's why for those who are seeking to be baptized, like we want to talk with you. We want to mm-hmm. hear your story, hear your testimony, mm-hmm. hear how God has cut you to the heart mm-hmm. with, through his word. Um, to determine whether or not, yeah, this this is genuine. This is yeah. this is true, and and that, that's just a, a a humble role that pastors have to kind of fence that. Just like we, I'm sure you'll talk about next week with fencing mm-hmm. the table. Like just as we guard it because it's so precious to us, um, but it's for our good. It's for the good yeah. of the body. Yeah, I want to just encourage people if there's any fear of, um, yeah, just this is different than maybe how I grew up with my family or traditions or whatever. Um, those are things to talk through with, yeah. um, with our pastors and they'd be happy to help walk you through that and Absolutely. make a wise informed decision yeah. um, for yourself at this time. And mm-hmm. that's what they did for me mm-hmm. five, six, yeah, that's right. almost seven years ago. So I, I think also it's worth noting, particularly if you, if you were baptized as an infant um, and just have questions, Let's talk. Um, yeah. I know that feeling. <laughs> and, uh, and I want to talk about that and what that, what does that mean? What does it look like? And um, the answer is not going to be the same across the board, but mm-hmm. I think those are the questions. If you, if you were baptized as an infant and, are, and have questions about it, um, I'd, be, I'd be happy to talk with you. Any of us would be happy to talk with you about it. Because um, I think that's, especially our, where we are, our context, I, I know there are people who listen to this or, or attend our church or members of our church that that could be a question for them. Yep. Um, one that we want to yeah. address with scripture. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe one last thing I want to highlight. Um, and I, I think Matt, you, you hopefully pointed this out that baptism is a means of grace, not just to the person being baptized. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it is that because like any act of obedience, like you were just saying, anytime you're trusting in the Lord, walking in his ways, God blesses that with mm-hmm. joy. Um, and with his his favor as opposed to you know think about the guilt you feel how miserable it is when you are disobeying god and not walking in his ways um so it's a blessing and a joy to the person being baptized but it is a means of grace to the entire church for all of us to Mm -hmm. enjoy every time that there is a, a baptism because our faith is strengthened and we are not only is it the joy of seeing here is a new believer perhaps trusting in Christ for the first time publicly declaring that which encourages us and mm-hmm. motivates us in evangelism and all of that but like you said um you know if, if baptism is the sign and seal of the covenant new covenant we're in Christ united to him it has parallels to a, a wedding ceremony mm-hmm. and, and there's a sign of that covenant you know mm-hmm. in our culture we wear wedding rings as a sign of that covenant and when you attend somebody else's wedding like mm-hmm. you were making that point yesterday you're reminded of your own wedding vows um you're reminded of your own wedding day and the significance of that and it's you know impressed upon you again the the wonder the beauty the um 
seriousness of that, mm-hmm. all, all of that. Uh, and, and so, it, you know, it has that effect every time we have a baptism for the whole church. We, we are reminded, um, I, I'm united to Christ by faith, and there is an objectivity to this. Yeah. I bear his name. I was baptized too, and I was joined to him and to his body. And, and I love how you pointed out in scripture, as much as baptism is a highly and hotly debated thing, it's it's meant to be a unifying thing. Right. So when Paul yeah, points out in good. Ephesians, there's one Lord, one body, one baptism, right. one spirit. Um, that's, it, it's meant to be a unifying thing. And we are to feel that unity as a church every time we have a baptism hmm. and to be reminded to do what Paul says in Ephesians four, eagerly maintain the unity of the spirit right. in the mm-hmm. bond of peace. So Mm. Wonderful. Way more that could be said about baptism. We'd be happy to have those conversations with anybody who's wondering uh, or thinking through these things and uh, dig into God's word together. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys.